life can be heavy, a burden which at times seems unbearable. It's easy to find ourselves overwhelmed, weighed down, or even crushed. Often these struggles come and go, a nuisance, an annoyance, yet sometimes they grab a hold, gripping every aspect of our lives, pulling us down, consuming our hope. It's hard to breathe under the weight of our anxieties. It's difficult to move forward when we're anchored to our worries. But God loves us too much to let us stay this way. He wants to replace our anxiety with hope, our fear with courage, our worries with peace, and our burdens with freedom. In moments when life begins to weigh you down, remember this one simple truth. We serve a faithful God, a God who's offered to carry our burdens and asks us to cast all our cares on Him. Well, as I dismiss our K through fifth grade, head over here with Miss Joanne and Miss Natalie. I am going to say a few words that connect our video and our message together this morning. Those words are anxiety, anguish, apprehension, burden, doubt, worry, and fear. Those are words that we've heard quite a bit over the last three years. Things that have weighed us down, words that, that describe an inner feeling of, of turmoil that's going on inside of us that, that show themselves in feelings of outward uneasiness. That is where we find ourselves. And these words describe a feeling among people, and really not just people, all people. As we consider what, what the future may bring to us as well as the people and the things that we love. What will the future bring? Let's face it, these emotions that I've mentioned this morning are used by people, including ourselves, to either motivate us or to manipulate us to do all sorts of things. Any TV commercial you watch will play on your emotions, especially the ones of fear. Think about a car commercial. How often do they talk about the safety rating on a car commercial? The reason for it is they're wanting you to buy that because you're afraid something might happen. I'm going to talk politics for two seconds. But think of any politician. Any politician. Doesn't matter if there's a D, an R, or an I next to their name. They will use fear to manipulate you to vote for them instead of their person who might actually get into office and cause all kinds of problems. They're going to use that. Family members. We have family members who like to manipulate, don't we? Oh, that wasn't supposed to be a joke. Uh, we have friends who will do it. If you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, they'll use it. Spouses use it. The list goes on. We, we find people who will use these fears against us and sometimes for us to either motivate us or manipulate us. People play on our anxieties. People play on our worries, our fears, and our distress. And it's in, even including ourselves. We will talk ourselves into things and convince ourselves because of the fears. 
And they're common. They're common feelings and emotions that every person has, and they affect every area of our life. It affects our decision-making. It affects, ultimately, the direction that our lives will take. Here's the thing. Great example. guy by the name of Howard Hughes. Maybe you've heard of him before if you did a history book at any point in time. Howard Hughes was one of the richest men on the planet in his day. As a matter of fact, he'd still be one of the richest men on the planet even today if he were still alive. He was a billionaire before it was a common term. He was a movie star, business tycoon, aviator, inventor, and, and really a builder. And his story is pretty amazing to see how he got where he was at. Um, in case you're wondering, still trying to figure out, think Spruce Goose, if you know what that is. He's the one that put that together. And, and in it all, he had lots and lots of money. And you would think that in his life, people would talk highly and highly and highly about him. But the thing is, that towards the end of his life, it started to kind of fall apart. And you think with all the money that he had, it should have been easy, but it was not easy. As a matter of fact, he had a severe case of OCD, according to sources close to him, and even some say schizophrenia. He was afraid people were out to get him and get his money, and he was incredibly afraid of germs. So much so that if you wanted to go and visit him, you had to wear gloves and wipe the doorknob a certain amount of times before you could even pop the door open to say hi to him. He thought people were out to get him, and, and he got to the place where he was worried about dying. He was worried about sickness. He was terrified of all these different things, and the last years were spent in seclusion. As a matter of fact, he started living in a penthouse suite in a hotel in Las Vegas. He had the entire floor to himself and in it the, the hotel actually tried to kick him out because he just stayed there all the time and he decided well instead of you kicking me out I'm going to buy the hotel. So he bought the entire hotel so he could live there. When he did venture out he had specific rules for his driver that he said you can't go over 35 miles an hour if you come to a railroad track you can only go two miles an hour over it and in it all we are going to drive on the smoothest roads possible because I don't want anything to happen to my car and I don't want anything to happen to me and get into a wreck he was th that concerned with everything the problem was at the time of his death he had 2.5 billion dollars in worth which is roughly 11 billion today and he had nobody to leave it to. And he didn't even have a will. That is a sad place to be. That you've pushed everybody so far away that you don't have that. I mean, it really is a gross example of fears and worries and anxieties determining the way that your life goes. As a matter of fact, you know how he died? From different things of worry that attacked his heart they said he died from worry in our passage today Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34 we need to understand something about worry as Jesus is continuing to teach in the Sermon on the Mount he does not want us to be anxious and he does not want us to be full of worry he wants you to live life he wants you to live the good life. He wants you to live that life out in a different way than what the world has made us to believe. And that's what we've been talking about for the entire Sermon on the Mount. But here it comes to a head. And Jesus says, I don't want you to make decisions for the future 
based on your fears right now or even your fears of the future. He says, I want the direction of your life to be established and founded on the eternal truth rather than temporary things and the empty promises of your fellow man. That is what Jesus wants. So my first question this morning for you is this, and there's going to be a lot of them. What is it that you worry about? What is it that you worry about? What makes you anxious? What causes you to worry? It could be from the simple, oh, I hope my football team wins today, to the, why do I even exist? Why am I here? What is my purpose? As I thought about those questions, I came up with some potential answers that I can see myself answering, and I assume that I can make it a broad answer for each of us as well. The first thing that I'm afraid of, and probably you are as well, is the unknown. The unknown. I, I don't won't know what's going to happen next. Uh, my life is full of what ifs. Do you ask yourself what if often? And, and trying to determine whether or not it's even going to come true. So first, the unknown. How about the known? Even when you know something, you know you can't control it. And that's a fear, that I can't control the known. Not being in control. That'd be the next one. I like control. Do you like control? I like to know what's going to happen next. And I like to be able to tell you why it's going to happen next. Money. Not having enough of it to take care of myself, my family, my, my needs, my kids, or just pay bills in general. If you're a business owner, that goes even further than just your family. It goes, are we going to keep this thing open? What about being alone? Anybody fear about being alone, finding the right person to share your life with? Or you can carry that into, what if something happens to the person I have in my life already, the people I have in my life already? Those are fears. Go back to our thing from last week. Who am I living for? What if I, what if I fail God? What, what if I let him down? If I just truly think I'm living for him, but really it's all about me. How do I do that? How am I going to be accepted? And maybe that's another thing we fear, is being accepted or rejected by others. I mean, on a personal note, just laying it all out there, because this is about worry, and I'm going to tell you the places where I struggle at with this. But this week has been a tough message because it hit way too close to home for me. It's been a message that, that you get to hear for 35 to 45 minutes. I'm going to try and keep it on the shorter side for you. But maybe that's what you're worried about. We got to get out of here. Um, you get to hear for 35 to 45 minutes. I hear it all week long. Over and over and over again as I study. And, and it really does hit to the heart. And, and you have the opportunity to tune me out or turn me off or whatever it might be. I don't get that option. So I have to hear it over and over and over again. And then I have to not be hypocritical and come up here and tell you about it. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I probably didn't share in the one up above, but I struggle with the most is, is really, why do we do what we do? I asked that question a couple weeks ago. Does any of this really matter? Does me putting in, I, I mean, here's why I do what I do. I preach the gospel for life change. That, that is the reason why I am a pastor. I want to see people's lives change and go closer to Jesus. My worry is it doesn't happen, that I'm wasting my time. That's my worry. 
That, that's what I think about on Sunday morning when, when somebody is sitting in here and they're like, boop, lights are off. Not getting any of this. I'm just going to go about my day tomorrow. I don't really care. See, for me, I, I don't want that. Am I wasting my time every Sunday as I do this? I don't want that to be the case because I want to see people's lives changed, starting with my own but carrying into you. And I think that's the reason why this message hit me so hard this week. A, because the Bible says well over 350 times, do not fear, do not worry, don't be anxious. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody say there's 365 because God knew how many days there was going to be in a year and we have one for each day to not fear. And the second part is, is this passage found here in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, it directly speaks to each one of the worries that I listed, including my own. In this passage, Jesus is giving his audience five statements, basically telling them, do not worry. And with those five statements, he lays in nine arguments on why not to worry, or nine reasons on why not to worry. So if you do me a favor, if you're not already in Matthew chapter 6, I would like for you to go there. And we're going to overlap into last week's message. We're going to overlap into last week's message because really this week's message as Jesus continues to teach is built off of it. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week and a guy by the name of John Piper, maybe you've heard of him before, he actually said something pretty profound as I was reading and it was something I knew but it clicked when I read it. And he said this, the Bible is not a string of individual pearls. It's not individual bits and pieces that we can go to whenever we need. Kind of like even the idea of there's 365 don't worries. What he said is, is we can take things out of context if we, we take them as those individual little pearls. Even the end of that video, as it talks about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, cast all your cares on him. That's a great verse, but if you read all of 1 Peter chapter 5, it's even greater. It's even more profound in speaking to you. We can't just take these little individual pearls off the string what he said is the bible is made up of links in a chain that it all links together for strength for us to understand for us to see today as we look at worry in the sermon on the mount jesus links to teachings that he's done before the teachings he's going to do after that paul links back to it as he's doing it they're all linked together on why we shouldn't worry so that's the reason why i'm going to start back at 19 because i want you to see the link as we start in verse 25 with today's passage so verse 19 reading says don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is a lamp of the body if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad the whole body will be full of darkness so if the light within you is darkness how deep is that darkness here's where we're going to start seeing our reasons or our arguments in our statements and I'm going to point them out to you as you go so the first reason he says this no one can serve two masters since either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money where does our main worry come from money uh, the things of this earth that we worship you can't serve both you won't have worry if you're not serving the things of this world and instead you're serving God it says therefore I tell you in verse 25 don't worry about your life statement number one don't worry about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear reason number two isn't it life more important than food and more the body more than clothing 
Reason three, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Then you have statement two and reason four kind of all together in this major question that we're going to focus on today. And that is this. Can any of you add one moment to his life span by worrying? Statement number three, and why do you worry about clothes? Reason five, observe how the wild flowers in the fields grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Statement four, so don't worry, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? Reason five or six, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The pagans, the people who don't believe in God, but you, your heavenly father, you believe in God, you are a follower of his, your heavenly father, reason number seven, knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and reason number eight, all these things will be provided for you. Statement number five, therefore don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Reason number nine, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So in this passage, Jesus touches on many things that we worry about. He focuses on the known, on the unknown, the money, the basic or not so basic necessities that we think we need. And again, he gives us those five statements, don't worry, and nine reasons on why we shouldn't worry. Going back to last week, I'm just going to cover a little bit in the basic of 19 through 24. We asked the question to start out with last week, what is your definition of success? And we basically said the worldly definition of success is fame, power, and fortune. But for Christians living in this world, living in this flipped world, if you go back to our summer sermon series on the Beatitudes, in this flipped way of thinking, or in living this good life, success should be defined differently by a Christian. We can't even define success as temporary because we are called to something greater. We are called to something bigger. We are called to something better than anything this world has to offer. And that is the kingdom of heaven. That is his righteousness. He says, you either live for heaven or you live for earth, but you can't do both. That is where we find ourselves today. We need to understand that while the Bible doesn't condemn having worldly success, it does condemn us idolizing worldly success and becoming complacent and apathetic towards God because we have that worldly success we can't cling to those things and if you remember last week Jesus he said you can't serve both in this this verse he says you can't serve both God and money now a lot of times we we kind of think money is is the main deal but if you have the King James version it says the word mammon and the word mammon is anything that we put our trust and confidence in what things do you cling to that you put your trust and confidence in that are not God? Because those things will let you down. Those things you cannot fully trust. As a matter of fact, as you cling to them, it's going to lead to anxiety in you because Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're going to be focused on those things. We worry about those treasures the most. What we worry about the most is generally what we treasure the most, isn't it? And what things can be taken from us? What we value the most determines really how we see the rest of the world. How we react to the rest of the world. Our things that we value. We value ourselves above everything else. 
And that shows in the way we live. But if we value God above everything else, it's going to show also in the way that we live. We need that focus. We talked about the single-minded focus last week. A single heart focus. We can't be double-hearted. We can't be double-minded because that's going to affect everything both now and forever. Jesus knows it. We know it. That every single one of us, every human being, regardless of age or gender or or economic status. I mean, you can go down the whole list. Ethnicity, it doesn't matter who or what you are. We all have certain things that we will value in our lives. We have certain things that we will value. The question is for you, what is it? What is that thing that you value? Is it a tangible, temporary thing? Where is your treasure? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it reputation, honor, praise, relationship, spouse, kids, jobs, status? time what are the things that you treasure see we have to be careful what we value we have to be careful what we give value to because in those things the more value you give to something the more that anxiety and fear are going to surround that thing and rule over that thing the more we give to it what gets your full attention what gets your energy when you worry is it kingdom things or earthly things you have to choose I can't choose for you nobody else can choose for you you have to choose matter of fact if you go to Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 8 Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he lays out what he chooses let me read it for you it says this in verse 7 of chapter 3 but everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. You know what Paul says? I choose Christ. I choose Christ. He's the most valuable thing that I can have. Do you see how he tossed in the word loss there? What is our greatest fear? Isn't it loss of something? Even if it's as basic as control. We fear losing. It's like, I'm not worried about loss. I only want Christ. I choose Christ and everything else, it can go to the dung heap. What do you choose? How do you choose? That leads to our passage for today. Verse 25, you still have your Bibles open. Starts off with the word, therefore. That's your link. That link back to what Jesus has already taught. A link back to everything he just said about earthly treasure, about where we give too much time and energy and resources and even worry to. He says, here's your command. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Why do you worry about temporary stuff? Why are you so preoccupied with temporary stuff? Why do you let it consume your thoughts? Why do you let it consume your everything? Why are you so preoccupied with the wrong life? See, when it says that don't worry about your life, he's talking about here. It says we're preoccupied with what's going on here, not the heavenly life that we have why do you worry about that temporary stuff? And I say wrong life because I think we hold too tightly to the things of this life and not tight enough to Jesus. 
We hold too tightly to the things of the earth and not tight enough to the things of heaven. I'll say it again. We have to be careful what value we give to certain things because those things will, that have more value will pull in the fear and the anxiety and they will surround and rule over those things. That's where our fear and anxiety comes from. And you might think, well, what things? Let me answer it for you. First, money. Money is important, is it not? Am I, am I wrong for saying that? We pay bills with it. We buy food with it. We take care of our families with it. We get vehicles. We get gas. Takes a little bit more money to do that now than it did. Money is somewhat important in the scope of things. But the thing is, sometimes we make money too important. Too important. If you make money too important, fear and anxiety are going to define your life. When you talk about fear and anxiety, you're talking about this. Who is the sovereign reigner over your life? Is it God or is it money? If you make money too important, fear and anxiety are going to define you. Why? Because you're going to be afraid of losing that money. You're going to be afraid of letting go of any of that money. And you're going to be afraid of not having enough of that money. Because when you buy stuff with it, then you put that money into something and then you're worried about that. When you buy something new, aren't you like, kids, don't touch that. No, you can't have drinks in the car for at least the first six months of owning this new vehicle. Because we don't want it to get ruined. When you get that new vehicle, you park way over there because you don't want anybody to door ding it. Am I right? It's the things that we value. And I'm not saying that's a problem. I don't want door dings on my car either. But when we put too much to it and we have fear and anxiety, we have to ask ourselves this question. Whose stuff is it anyway? Whose money is it anyway? Who is the sovereign ruler over your life? Second one is time. I think time is the same as money, or maybe even more important. Because it truly is the currency of life. You are given 86,400 seconds every day. How you spend it or invest it or even waste it matters. It, it, it matters. How willing are you to give it to others? Your time. How willing are you to give it to God? If we hold on to it too tightly because we're afraid of losing it or letting it go or not having enough of it, similar to money, or even being overly cautious who gets it, we have to ask ourselves a question. Whose time is it? Whose time is it? Whose energy is it? Who is reigning over your life? Next one's a tough one. Children 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 are a gift from God I have a 21 year old a 16 year old a 14 year old an 11 year old two 10 year olds and a 5 year old now I know I got a quiver full Psalm 127 I got my quiver full and in that here's what we need to see and what we need to understand God didn't owe any of them to me God did not owe any of them to me. The Bible clearly says children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord. He has given me the task of protecting them. Yes. He has given me the task of providing for them. Yes. He has given me the task of, uh, the, the task of caring and shaping and leading them. Yes. But can I ultimately protect them from all that is dark in this world? And the answer is no. But I sure can't worry about it. I sure can't let it eat me up. Listen, parents, 
to give your kids everything they want and protect them from everything possible, every possible danger that's out there, is not going to help your kids in the end and probably it's not going to help them right now either. We have to not be that helicopter hangover because as a parent, we have a job and that is to lead and train them towards adulthood and following Christ and then let them do it. That is where we find ourselves. I mean, it's scary having kids. I remember the scariest adult moment of my entire life happened on May 6th, 2001. That was the day I became a dad. Man, I was terrified of messing that kid up because I was messed up myself. Not that anything's changed, but still, I was terrified what if I mess up? What if he doesn't succeed? What if he doesn't get good grades in school? What if when I do let him do something, something happens? And he gets hurt. Having him, I talked to him last night, having him over in Tokyo and the dis- discussions that we have, I'm like, I just want to be a dad and tell you not to do that. But I need you to be a man and to make a decision on your own. It's scary stuff. The what ifs of his life and every child that followed dominates my thinking far too often. It's because I have a lack of control. I have a lack of controlling the unknown. But again, the question goes back to whose kids are they anyway? When I dedicated my children to the Lord during a child dedication service, what does that mean? It means exactly what I just said. We dedicate them to the Lord. They're his. They're not mine. Honestly, it all comes back to knowing God is in control. He is sovereign. Link it back to prayer. When we, 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 I told you, it all links together. What did Jesus pray? Our Father, who's in heaven, holy be your name. Then what are the next two things? Your kingdom come and your will be done right here on earth in my life. Can I pray that? It all links together. Who's in control? Who's doing it? I love the quote from Francis Chan in the book Crazy Love. He says this, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough or powerful enough or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Basically, it communicates that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. These next words are ones that just hit me. Worry reeks of arrogance. It declares our tendency to forget that we've been forgiven, that our lives are brief, and that the context of God's strength, our problems are small indeed. Here's a quick question, and I don't know the answer. Can you trust God and worry at the same time? Can you worry and trust God at the same time, or do we have to change our thinking? You may have heard this before, but we need to change our what-ifs to even-ifs. If you know the story of Rakshak and Benny in Daniel chapter 3, when they're in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar goes and as he's talking to them, he says, hey, you guys are going to burn up unless you bow down. And who, what God is going to have the power to save you from me? And they said, hey, even if, not what if, even if our God does not save us, we're good with that. Because we know he's in control. Do we know that he's in control no matter what? Every breath I take is because he gave it. 
Every second I have is because he gave it. Every penny I have is because he gave it. Every child I have because he gave it. As much as I want to be in complete control, as much as you want to be in complete control, we don't have it. It's his. I have none. And that's where verse 26 comes in. It says, consider the birds of the sky. Don't they sow or reap and gather in, or they don't sow or reap and gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? See, Jesus is a master at pointing out the obvious. Especially when there's common things that are around. Remember, they're sitting on the side of a hill. He's preaching and there's birds. He's like, hey, take a look at those birds. Guess what they don't do? They don't have big barns that they're storing everything up in. Remember that passage we talked about from Luke chapter 12 last week? The guy who built bigger barns and then died? He said, they don't have those and they don't worry. See, I'm not a bird watcher, but they are pretty amazing creatures. They do their jobs. And then they go and they collect sticks and they hunt worms and they either unintentionally or intentionally are good stewards of their lives. They've been given, they do what they're supposed to do and they do their work and they get their, we'll call it daily bread. Wait, let's link that back to a prayer. What did Jesus say again? Give us today our daily bread. You are the great provider. Jesus is telling his disciples. And by the way, we do need to remember that. Some people will take this passage and make it a blanket passage. He's talking specifically to disciples. Those who are followers of Christ. He tells the disciples, if God cares for the birds, if God provides for them, how much less are you than them? Don't even think that way. He's going to take care of you. Why do you get so preoccupied to the point of emotional strain and sickness when you know that God's in control? So get this encouragement from Jesus. He says, work hard, plan, be good stewards, but trust the Lord. Be wise and trust Him. Invest your time and your energy and your money into Him. And then that leads us to that big question that was both a statement and a reason. It says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? The answer is, no. None of us can. He literally saying, quit torturing yourself. You know you can't do anything. I mean, studies say the things that we worry about, only 8% actually come true. And guess what about those 8%? You can't do anything about them anyway. So why worry? He, he is saying that, and those things aren't going to change because of worry. See, worry has never solved the problem. Worry has never dried crying eyes. Never, it has never lifted the weight of a burden that is on our lives. It never removed an obstacle. It never made a bad thing good. It never made a good thing better. As a matter of fact, worry does the opposite. But yet we continue to do it. I love what Corey Ten Boom says about worry. She says, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. It sucks us dry. In verse 20, it says, why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of fields grow. They don't labor, they spin. Yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all this splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, by the way, there's a bigger implication than that than just flowers here. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, when I read this passage, here's what I see. We worry about having the good life. We worry about having a better life. We want a better life for us, and we definitely want a better life for the next generation that we're passing it on to. But here's the thing that Jesus says. 
we're preoccupied with the wrong life. We're preoccupied with the wrong life because how do we define a better life? The food we eat? Christy and I got to go out on a date on Friday night. And we made the decision to go to Papado's. I, I can't tell you the last time I went to Papado's. We shared a meal and we shared an appetizer. We walked out with a $70 bill. And I went, that was a lot more than I was expecting. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I did not walk in going, hey, we're going to drop a 70. I was hoping to drop that at Walmart on real food. You know, that kind of thing. But, but as I sat there, I was literally looking around the room, taking an inventory of the amount of tables with the amount of, of food and the amount of alcohol. And I'm like, $300 bill, $400 bill. Mine's 70. Theirs is wow. You know, that was kind of what I was thinking as I was looking around. But Why? Why do we need that? Why do we have to spend $70 on a meal when we could get away with peanut butter and jelly? I'm just going to say it. Some of you are like, no, I'm allergic to peanuts. Okay, macaroni and cheese. All right. There's simple things that are pretty cheap that we can get away with, but there's something that helps define us to say, hey, look where I went. I went to Papa Dose. <laughs> you know, not that that's a real impressive thing. It'd be like, wow, okay. But Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, I went there. You know, that's $70 on one steak. You know, those are the kind of things we look at and go, what defines us? How do we define that better life? What kind of drinks we have? What kind of clothes we have? Or how we clothe ourselves? And by I say, when he says clothes, it's not just what we're wearing for us. It's how people see us. It's the jobs we have. It's the cars we have. It's the family we have. The grades we have. The house we have. The list goes on. But there's so many things that we worry about and they're all temporary things that are going to fade. They're the things that are going to get thrown into the fire that nobody cares about when it really comes down to it. We care about it now, and I'm not saying don't get good grades. What I am saying, <laughs> what I am saying is don't make it the number one I have to live this way priority in your life. The one thing we have to have is something different than what the Gentiles have. The pagans, they chase after those things. They worry about all that stuff because they don't have anything else. We have a heavenly Father. And that's who we chase after. As a matter of fact, the next verse, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is the answer of where we are at. What is the cure for worrying about all of our stuff? Seek God. Seek him first. Shift your priority. Shift your focus. Seek him and everything else is going to fall into place. What is it that you're living for? Is all the stuff in this life you're living for temporary or is it God? Because remember, you can't do both. And then it comes back around. He links it. The idea of where's your heart? The heart is towards God or the heart is towards temporary things? That's the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Where's your heart? What's your life about? Is it merely this life? is basically surviving and looking good doing it? Or is it about something bigger? That's a question you have to answer. When we shift what we spend our everything on, our time, our talents, our resources, all the things that go with it, from the temporary to where God comes first, man, it's going to open up those spiritual eyes that he talks about, that, that open eye where the light of the body, and it, it radiates in us and through us to others. So verse 34, he says this, therefore don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, worry is a preoccupation in the present to the fear of what might 
take place in the future. If God is the God of today, is God the God of tomorrow? Will he still be in control tomorrow? See, Jesus doesn't want us to be anxious and full of, of worry. He wants us to live life differently. That is what he wants. He doesn't want us making decisions based on a fear of the future. He wants the direction of our lives to be established and founded on the truths rather than the temporary things of earth or the hollow promises of man. He wants us to trust the Lord. One of the commentaries I read this week said this, our anxiety level is a good indicator of how much we trust the Lord. I went, ouch, that hurt. I don't want to read that again. I'll just share it with you all. How is it we can trust the Lord as Savior? Trust the Lord to save us from eternal damnation, but we can't trust Him today to take care of our daily provisions. Is it because one thing is so far off in the future, at least we think it is, and the other thing is right now? Shouldn't believers live different? The problem is more and more stats are pointing out that followers of Jesus, especially in the Western culture, are not that different from those who aren't followers of Jesus. A guy by the name of C.J. Mahaney wrote a book called Worldliness. He said this, Today, the greatest challenge facing Bible-believing American Christians is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. Charles Spurgeon, who died well over 125 years ago, said these words in his day, 125 plus years ago, that still are applicable today. He said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at the present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. He said, put your finger on any prosperous page in church history and you will find a little marginal note that says, in this age, people could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. The reality is we live in a day that we cannot see where the world ends and the church begins. Study after study after study show that our lifestyles as profession Christians, it looks the same as all the people around us. We're just as materialistic. We're just as sexually immoral. We are just as self-centered as the world. We have many of the same priorities. We have many of the same worries. We have many of the same anxieties. We parent the same. But here's the question. Is that acceptable? Remember, my worry is, will people's lives change? Is that acceptable? We say, yeah, it's good. I'm not, I don't have to change. Does my life have to change? Does the church have to change? Where is our life? Where is our heart? Where is our treasure? Go back to the Beatitudes. We talked about them through the summer with Flip. It started off with being poor in spirit and then mourning over my sin and then being meek or gentle under control and strength under control and then hungering thirst for righteousness instead of hungering and thirsting for the things of this world. And it continued to grow. And then we see all of Jesus' teachings get us to where this point is right here, right now. And I think about the, the, the question I think that Jesus asked that is the most pointed, painful question. My favorite question he asked is this. It's found in Luke chapter 4. I'm oh, sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Who's in charge of your life? You can say Lord, Lord, which is saying, man, he's in charge, but if you don't do what I say, I'm not. I'm not in charge of your life, he says. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, if your boss says, hey, do this, and you're like, yeah, boss, I'm all over it, and then you don't do it, who's really the boss there? You are, right? You're the one making that decision. We have to be different. 
something has got to change the church should look different it should be different and not just different very different our schedule should look different our spending should look different our marriages should look different our parenting should look different our purity should look different our possessions our love our lives everything we have should look different not for the sake of being different but because we know Jesus Christ and he is our Lord and we're going to give him our love more than the world let me wrap up with 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 where John says these words do not love the world or the things in this world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father but from the world and the world with its lust is passing away but the one who does the will of God will remain forever that is a powerful statement to wrap up with I pray that today that you recognize who you are whose you are and where your life is and how you approach worry because of it let's pray together Father thank you again for your word thank you for the way you continue to challenge us thank you for the way you continue to direct us thank you for the way you continue to change us to be more like you and God this is a tough one because worry is just there as a matter of fact I see that you even recognize it by saying hey don't worry about tomorrow because today has plenty of worries for itself you recognize that but you're still challenging us not to worry Paul says in Philippians don't be anxious but instead focus on the good and the lovely and the pure and the admirable things don't focus on the things of this world God help us with our focus help us with our minds help us with our lives to live it for you we pray it all in your heavenly name that is worthy of all praise